This podcast is here to support your wellness journey through solo episodes and conversations with experts on all things well-being, fitness, and lifestyle. I'm Katerina, certified personal trainer, sports science MSc, and wellness coach. I'm so grateful you've landed here. Now take a deep breath, exhale, and let's dive in. Thanks for joining me. Today, I'm in conversation with Danielle Wiley. Danielle is a former ballerina turned fitness instructor and educator. She has made it her mission to break down barriers and make fitness accessible to everyone. Danielle's style of training is all about inclusivity, sustainability, and a mindful approach. Her friendly and non-intimidating teaching style empowers her clients to understand their bodies better helping them make fitness choices that truly work for them. In this episode, we'll dive into Danielle's story of transitioning from the world of ballet and becoming a fitness educator. Danielle fell in love with ballet at a young age, pursuing her dreams with fervent passion and determination, yet her dream wasn't without hurdles. Today, she joins us to candidly share her personal struggles with eating disorders, body dysmorphia and exercise addiction during her time as a ballet dancer. This truly is a story of pain to power. Instead of letting those difficulties define her, she has embraced her past as a catalyst for change. Fueled by her own healing journey, she has dedicated her life to creating a fitness and wellness space that is free of judgment, unrealistic expectations, and the focus on weight loss and aesthetics. In today's conversation, we delve into the heart of her mission, which is all about inclusivity, and compassion within this world of wellness. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you guys. I'm sure you're going to love it. Without further ado, here is Danielle Wiley. Hello, Danielle. Thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. I've just started Pilates, so I'm really excited to have this conversation with you and just get your hot takes on all things Pilates and get your expert knowledge. Um, How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's so cool to be on a podcast that I love listening to. So, so excited to be here and chat with you today. Awesome. Thank you. Well, we connected over on Instagram. Um, And if anybody is looking for a really good, high quality Instagram page to follow, I highly recommend Embody Fitness because your videos are so clean, clear. You demonstrate things, all things Pilates really well and also in a really accessible way, which I was really drawn to. Like your teaching style comes across in those like really quick reels, which I think is really really tricky but you you nailed it so yeah I highly recommend following your Instagram account yeah so we're gonna dive into all things Pilates and specifically the way in which you work and your mission and the intention behind the way you work because I think you offer something really unique but before we dive into all of that I'd love to just set a foundation and dive into your story where you started because we've 
we walked a similar path in terms of we were both professionally trained dancers now we're fitness instructors your story resonates with me a lot and I just love to learn a lot more about you as well as who um who you are and how you've landed in the space you are now um so yeah can we start right at the beginning how did you get into dance and what was your first experience of dance like so I think like so many little girls my um, exposure to ballet happened very young um, and it happened at the quintessential um, ballet performance of the Nutcracker I think that's like such a common story of going to see the Nutcracker around the holidays and for me it was absolutely love at first sight. My parents got me the little audio CD at intermission and I would play that music around the clock. <laughs> My poor parents had to listen to her <laughs> all throughout the year, not just at the holidays. Um, and there was something about the way dancers and ballerinas moved to music that I can still remember that feeling as such a little, little girl, just kind of twirling around my living room and just loving the feeling of the joy of movement for lack of any better way to describe it. It was truly such an instinctual, natural thing for me. I was not coordinated. I was not naturally gifted by any means. I have the home footage to prove it. Um, but that was kind of how it first started a very um, beautiful, natural, instinctual thing. And then because of that interest, my parents, you know, found the local dance studio and signed me up for classes. And that's kind of the beginning of a very long um, history and story with dance. Um, but I love my origin story because it started so pure, um, that just joy and love of moving and moving to music. Um, and unfortunately, for me, I stumbled upon a local, um, pretty strict Russian ballet academy. And while the training was excellent, it quickly became a very high pressure, um, highly competitive place. And for me, loving it so much and wanting to be so wanting to be good and wanting to progress and not being naturally talented, I think it's important to realize that even as young children into adulthood, we all have different levels of natural ability in terms of movement. And movement can be for everybody, but we all have different levels of coordination. And I definitely wasn't one of those little girls that could leap super high or do a pirouette without falling on her bum. Um, I was definitely for lack of a better way to describe it, bottom of the barrel. So zero natural ability, but all of the passion and love and joy for it. Um, and I just stuck at, I stuck with it for my entire childhood up into teenagers through university and then into adulthood. Um, and along the way, having so much passion and wanting to be so good at it, it took a little bit of a dark turn in terms of Taking that training to really an extreme level and getting really addicted to, I would say, the, the regimen that is classical ballet. It's a very structured, very beautiful way to train the body, but it's very, very regimented, um, especially if you are training in any kind of particular traditional style like the Vaganova, which is the Russian technique. It's very black and white in the way that the body needs to look, needs to function, in the way that the shapes and moves are executed. And when you have a body that doesn't necessarily want to move that way, that maybe doesn't look that way, um, it can feel like there's pressure to conform to those standards, um, both from an aesthetic standpoint and from a technical standpoint. Ballet dictates very extreme turnout from the hips, extreme extension, extreme flexibility. And I just was one of those little girls that had none of it and was doing whatever it took 
to get that. So I remember growing up just stretching for hours in my childhood bedroom and being very conscious at a young age that being in a smaller, thinner body was better as a ballet dancer and and already starting to realize that there were expectations on my aesthetics and on my form and on my body size um, from a super, super young age. I'm talking like pre-pubescent, um, just being aware of those standards that um, the ballet world kind of holds um, to, to women. Um, and I think just dancers in general, I think the standards, although really improving, I think the standards are really high. Um, and I definitely succumb to those pressures for sure. And that's understandable being in that situation and being indoctrinated into it from such a young age as well gosh so much of that resonated with me as well I went to quite like a chilled out Saturday ballet class but we did perform with a Russian ballet company that toured which is so interesting that you mentioned that I was like oh we did that as well two things I actually want to dive into the that you've spoken about so the body aesthetic kind of thing um but also the idea of feeling like your movement wasn't good enough Mm -hmm. um and that kind of separation from obviously your entry point into movement just being a place of joy and then entering entering this rigorous training and then feeling not good enough and then things becoming a lot more structured and a lot more like goal orientated did that kind of take away some of that joy of the art form and like expression of dance or did they coexist? I think that's such a great question and a tricky one to answer because while my entry into dance was very um I would say joyful and and free-spirited and not very structured I loved the structure of classical ballet. Even as a young girl, um, those exercises at the bar, for me, there's something so grounding about going through like a little bar exercise and your plies and your tendus. Um, and I, I loved the structure of it. But I think the dangerous combination was when the structure became a place of um, excess critique and pressure, that's where the shift happened for me. So while the structure of ballet itself, I really enjoyed the craft of trying to make your plies a little smoother this next day, or maybe your passe is a little bit more rotated, you get a little taller in your spine. Even as a young, young girl, I remember like always just trying to explore and try to make things feel more graceful, feel more smooth, improve the balance, whatever it was. Um, but I think it's really, really critical Um with who children are exposed to in positions of authority. Um, and when that authority is really leaning into a approach to training, especially kids in a way that's very negative, um, that's where I think things took a really like kind of dark turn for me that I wanted so badly to impress my instructors and impress the teachers. Um, And I wanted so badly, I became aware of the hierarchy that was at our academy. It started as a very kind of fun thing to do as a young child. But as you kind of get older and move up the ranks, there's a very clear pecking order um, to the girls in your level, to the girls in your class, to the roles that you get casted in for performances, for the Nutcracker. And being someone that wanted to do well, that's a very um, dangerous 
situation to be put into. And I think that's where the structure with the pressure um, made me move more towards someone that was getting really, really hard on themselves and getting kind of obsessive with something that started off as just a pure love, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So interesting. And it it makes so much sense being in such a high-pressured environment. And of course you want to do well. And of course you want to be, you know, like told that you're doing well and be validated. And you uh, continued your training at university and then you went on into the world, (laughs) into the world of dance, I guess. And were you with a company or? So after university, um, to kind of backtrack a little bit, yeah. So all the way through high school, I stayed pretty much from age five um, through the same academy all the way through high school. And then I went to a university with a wonderful dance program. It's where I was first exposed to, I grew up as what we call in the ballet world, a bunhead, where you just do ballet and you really don't learn <laughs> any other movement style. So university was a shock to my system um, to be exposed to modern dance and contemporary along with a, an incredible classical program. And interestingly, my trajectory in university was very similar to my trajectory growing up, kind of starting bottom of the barrel, knowing that I had really good work ethic and knowing how to work really hard. And um, it was a program that was very technique focused, and I had to kind of reimagine my technique um, and retrain my body throughout that experience. And again, what started as such a wonderful thing of moving up the ranks and improving my technique and getting better... um, to my own mistake, it's it's the feeling of, I think it was ingrained in me so young that things can be just as easily taken away from you as you achieve them. Um, that was really the culture, the ballet culture that I grew up in, where we were often as girls kind of pitted against each other for roles and for parts and for attention from the instructor. And I think when you're exposed to that so young, you carry that with you. And even though it was more of an internal struggle in university, I held myself to that same standard that was ingrained in me as a child and my struggles with body dysmorphia and eating disorders and over-exercising to maintain that ballet aesthetic, thinking that this was the only way I would achieve my dream really carried me out through university as well. So senior year, um, I had a really great experience auditioning, but full disclosure, I was severely underweight. Um, And looking back at those photos of when I was getting offered company positions, um, it's a little bit of a light bulb moment for me that that's still something that's very much accepted in the in the dance world. And and luckily, um, post university, I was so burnt out and so sick physically and mentally that I didn't um, end up joining any specific company. I ended up just kind of freelancing here and there. I struggled with injuries a ton. So I didn't take that traditional path of joining a company full-time. I freelanced and then ended up joining a company a little bit later um, on the instructor staff versus the dancing staff, because I just knew mentally I wasn't able to figure out how to keep myself healthy as a professional dancer. Um, Looking back now, like with the tools I have now and the growth I have now, I could do it now, but as a 21-year-old still kid in my, in my opinion, I just didn't have the tools um, or the support to keep myself healthy. And frankly, when I was so underweight was when I was getting my most attention, my best roles, my best offers. And that's something that I 
still think about to this day, like if I was healthy going on auditions, would I have gotten any offers? I don't know the answer to that, obviously, but um, something that I definitely think about a lot. Yeah. Oh gosh, so much. So starting with the training and the whole environment there, I think it's a shame that also at my university, this didn't happen, like that there wasn't more of like a holistic take on it all. And like, yes, you can have classes in dance history. You can have all the technique classes you want and, you know, choreographic modules and all of this. But what about taking care of yourself as a dancer? If it's non-existent, like nutrition is so important, like it's vital, like we use our bodies, (laughs) like this is a huge thing. And just like self-care and all of these things are so important because it is our bodies that we use as dancers, this um, entanglement of how we believe a dancer should look. And yeah, I mean, again, completely resonates with my experience as well. As well, And I think having this idea of what a good dancer looks like, and then obviously trying to align with that aesthetic, So yeah, in terms of the environment that dance training takes place in, I I think from what I've seen, and I've gone back as a guest lecturer at my old university, and from what I've seen, it has got better. I had friends who were at vocational training schools um, who would get weighed, and I just think that's wild. And that's like 2010. That's wild. So yeah having that emphasis and then other friends who went out into post-training and did all of the audition circuits in London and stuff and wouldn't get jobs because of the bodies. I think what's really eye-opening is when you realize um, for any type of dance audition um, when there's an aesthetic component to it for example like we call them like cattle calls where it's a large group of people that come and they're looking to cast either a specific role they're looking to add dancers to a company And it's still, um, I've been out of the dance world for a good amount of time now, but when I was going through auditions, there were still audition experiences where people were were cut before we did a single dance step. So how can you not, as, as a human being, discern then, assume, conclude that your body there's something wrong with your body or your body is not aesthetically pleasing to this artistic director, to this caster. I think that in, in my opinion, that's something that needs to go away. Um, And this was happening. I remember going on auditions as like a little, little girl and they're doing like pointing of the feet, checking of your legs, checking of your turnout, not your dance ability, but just the form and joint makeup (laughs) of your hips, of your feet. Um, and that's something that you don't understand as a little girl that you can't control. Um, and for me, unfortunately, I drew the conclusion, well, these, this is something that I need to try to control. I need to try to stretch and limber up my body as much as possible. I need to eat as little as possible to look like the ballerinas I idolized in all of the, my parents didn't realize at the time, just because I was so passionate, they would get me the point and dance magazines and they would get me DVDs of, you know, the Royal Ballet doing Swan Lake. And I would just study what these women look like. And still to this day, dancers tend to be very slim, very long-limbed, long-limbed rather. <laughs> and you don't understand as a little girl. Um, and I think even into early adulthood, I didn't understand that genetically, Either those people are just 
genetically inclined to look that way, or like I was, they're doing extreme things to their body. Um, Because I think there's a misconception that like, oh, all dancers that are very, very thin must have an eating disorder or must really restrict their calories. And that's definitely not the case. There are people genetically that are going to naturally look that way, whether they danced or not. And the ballet world specifically really um, is inclined towards prioritizing those type of bodies. Um, And so when you don't have that standard of that body, you feel already like you failed before you've done a single dance move. And I think that's a really important shift that we have to continue to make, especially with young children, especially with anyone at a student level. Absolutely. Yeah, that advocacy for shifting the narrative is so important. Absolutely. When you were speaking about that, especially the form and the technique and trying to mold yourself into having that swan foot or whatever. Do you ever remember, I don't know, this is just a core memory that I have. I remember flicking through like the pages of this dance magazine where you buy like the costumes and stuff. It's probably like a British thing, um, this particular particular one but there was this contraption like a metal contraption that you put your foot into and bend it I mean my mum would never let me have that thank goodness but I wanted it so bad because I wanted I was I I begged for that foot stretcher and my mom being a doctor and understanding foot anatomy was like absolutely not she actually um like for our point shoes like when you get to go on point on toe however you call it um I was so, so mad at her, but I developmentally was always like a very small kind of delayed kid. And she just knew that from the development of my body and my feet, I wasn't ready to bear all of that body weight on little cartilage toes. And so she held me back a level and I had to wait to get point shoes. And oh, I'm so grateful that she did it. No effects have happened to my feet because of the point shoes, but I was so mad at her. (laughs) So I understand the... And that's, that's what's so, it's so normal when you're in the ballet world, but from the outside looking in, when you remove yourself, the things that we did as such young kids and the things that we thought were normal or were normalized in that dance space, it's mind boggling, like as an outsider looking in now, but yes, I wanted yeah. that picture really badly <laughs> as well. So moving on to this season of your life, and actually, I just want to speak about a little brief conversation we had in our DMs a while ago, but I don't think it had such an impact on me, actually, and I'm really grateful for your sage wisdom, Um, because I think I mentioned like, oh, I'm an ex-pro dancer, and the conversation around that and identity of once being a dancer and then no longer being a dancer being in the world of fitness or whatever and like because I've definitely struggled with coming to terms with yeah saying like I'm an ex-dancer because it doesn't really sit right with me even though I kind of tried to use it but yeah it never really sat right but you kind of mentioned that being a dancer doesn't have to mean going out performing every night on stage or teaching or whatever it's more of like a way of being and like a mindset and you can embody that dancer all the all the parts of that dancer self within even structured exercise and however you move your body really and I don't know that really like 
oh gosh this is a game changer that's a really lovely way of framing it so first of all thank you for saying that it yeah had a really positive impact um but yeah so obviously now you're in this world of pilates but you can draw on that dance the part of yourself within it and right. obviously coming from the world of dance you know how powerful movement can be so how do you kind of integrate that into your work as a Pilates educator? So I was first exposed to Pilates um, at like many a dance summer intensive. And ironically, even though I do it now as my full-time job, I hated it growing up as a ballet (laughs) dancer. I thought it was boring. I thought it was a waste of time. I wanted to get back into ballet class, back to like the fun stuff, the jumping, the turning. I did not want to lay on my back and do slow, controlled breathing exercises and movements, not interested. Um, So I never really connected to it um, when I was exposed to it younger. But when I found it, um, so senior year of university, I danced um, Sugar Plum Fairy, Nutcracker, and then I danced Full Length Giselle. And this was on a very, very underfed, underweight, overtrained body. I was swimming laps every morning, dancing all day, going on the elliptical, like just doing anything in my power to stay thin. And what I thought was stay in good ballet endurance and shape and form. I thought I had to do these things to compete or to exist at that level. Um, And that resulted in a number of injuries pretty much right after I danced Giselle, um, very injured, very burnt out. Um, and then was able to see some doctors after that final performance. And I had a partial labral tear, partial tear in my knee, um, really hot, severely sprained ankle that was sprained multiple times, just kind of a mess of a body. And I was also diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder in that whole gauntlet of like post-graduation was just like, but I, I look back on it now. And as weird as it is to say, I'm so grateful that that kind of happened because it forced me to stop. And it forced my body to slow down and start to um, heal, um, just not in a way that I expected to have to kind of stop dancing and really address what were years and years of overuse and overtraining on my body that kind of led to this breaking point where my body quite literally broke. Um, And that's how I was reintroduced to Pilates was during physical therapy, during rehab from these injuries, I was exposed to both Matt and reformer Pilates And I was lucky enough this time around to have the right mentor and instructor who was so nurturing, so positive, um, and gave me the same mind-body connection that I had missed and was heartbroken about not having that in ballet. To experience that again with the way that she taught me and the way that she taught me to have a relationship with my body made me fall in love Pilates with not just as a way to make my body feel strong and mobile and energized and vital. I was able to feel the way I felt as a dancer in a way that finally did not feel like I was doing more harm to my body. Ballet always felt like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Whereas some days I would be on cloud nine, jumping and twirling and feeling great. And then there were some days where I could barely walk up a flight of stairs. My body was so inflamed and so tired and so exhausted. So finding Pilates, I think from a rehab perspective, really opened my eyes to, you can have a strong body that also is a body that is going to take you through the rest of your life. It's not going to burn out. Um, You're not going to be habitually injured or habitually exhausted or inflamed by staying fit. 
And that was, that was a complete game changer for me of having the right instructor and realizing that I could be that instructor for more people and, and create a space where people could experience movement that way versus the way that I experienced it growing up as a ballet dancer. That's so beautiful. I absolutely love that. Obviously, it's not great that you've had to go through that hardship, but it is that story of pain into power and then finding that person that the right person to guide you through it and that sounds like it's yeah it's kind of healed that separation that was kind of happening between yeah brain body and it's kind of come back together again in Pilates which is absolutely beautiful and I'm so glad that you found your way back into movement in such like a holistic and supportive way And now you get to share it with other people. And I mean, like I mentioned at the beginning, your teaching style that I've just seen through Instagram, like it really comes across that you hold space for people and that you do it in a really accessible way. And I know that part of your mission is to create classes that are for everybody. You uh, spoke about flexible consistency somewhere before. I love that term. Uh, Can you dive into what that term kind of means? Yeah, absolutely. So again, kind of leaning back towards the rigidity that is dance training, it was ingrained in me that you must do these exercises every day and practice every day or else you're going to lose your technique and you're going to lose your bodily aesthetic. And moving into the space of fitness and Pilates, that's kind of what I was initially exposed to as well. Um, And I think there's still a lot of that marketing and that culture and fitness of the, you know, workout every single day and stay consistent and don't ever skip and do your hour program. And this is what's going to give you the results. And not only is it not founded in exercise science, it's also just a very, um, black and white and one-sided mindset to have because we're all humans that have other responsibilities outside of taking our exercise class. And we're also in bodies that don't feel and function the same every single day, especially as women. Um, And as we go throughout our month, we have times where we're lower energy, times where we have more energy, times where we feel better in our body. Um, And the idea that movement is something that we need and crave and can and should experience daily what that movement actually is in terms of the movement style, the movement duration, and the movement intensity, that to me should look and feel different based off of how you feel, both mentally and physically. Um, So I think that's kind of the different approach that we take to Pilates and fitness in general in Embody is we categorize our classes, not necessarily always by level. Um, That's something that we do offer. Most of our programming is all level and we categorize it more by the intensity of the experience. So there's lots of classes that we consider supportive classes. Doesn't mean just for beginners. I have tons of advanced movers, former professional dancers that live in our supportive category that need gentle movement. And gentle movement, I think, were initially marketed as not effective or a waste of our time, whereas it can be some of the most effective mentally and physically nourishment for our bodies, for our minds, for our souls, um, and for our muscles. I think there's a big, big misconception about supportive movement styles, low impact movement styles, gentle movement styles, that you're not going to get results. 
Um, and that's just simply and scientifically not the case. And that's what we're trying to expose people more to learning to listen. Um, a big thing in the way that I cue and teach the classes is encouraging people to check in with themselves. Um, we try to really um, lean away from simple, just follow along workouts where it's you do this, I do this, you know, follow me, do everything that I do. Um, we're really, really careful with the way that we cue and embody. Um, so it's maybe add a balance, maybe lift the leg higher. I'm going to invite you to try this add on knowing that you can always return back to the previous. We're really, really um, cognizant of, on providing options and also speaking and cueing in a way that turns the user inward instead of just that kind of monkey see monkey do of just copying the movements you see on a screen. Um, we try to have it be more of an internal personal experience with the way that we one program the exercises, but more importantly, um, and something that I'm really passionate with about in helping other instructors is the way that we cue things um, really trying to never have someone feel like they have to do it a certain way or they're forced to add a progression or forced to add excess repetition or forced to add a balance. Um, we try to have our verbiage be more invitational and suggestive than mandatory. That's so great and so refreshing to hear in the fitness space because I think uh, mainstream fitness, it still happens um, that a lot of the queuing is quite, it's that whole earn and, or no, no uh, what is it, no pain no gain mentality that kind of thing and it sounds like you offer the complete opposite which is so refreshing and that invitation language um an opportunity to turn inwards is such a beautiful way to approach fitness in general and again it's about building that connection back with mind and body um, and creating a space for people to practice that every week or however often they want to engage with your classes. Like, I think that's such a brilliant way because yeah, I think mainstream when I went through like PT school, it was all very much um, results driven and to get these results, we're going to set SMART goals and then we're going to set these like very military operation kind of approach to obtaining usually an aesthetic based goal. And we're going to do all of these exercises and yeah, and you have to do them and you're going to progress in this very linear way. Whereas creating that space where people have more option it will actually remove more of the resistance that a lot of people have around exercise. And I suppose that's where that flexible consistency comes in because you're going to be more consistent with something that is a little bit baggier and um, allows you to move in a way that meets you where you are right now. Because otherwise you're probably not going to go, if you're feeling really lethargic, hopefully you would just skip that day. But then if a person... I'm speaking from my own experience and experience with clients in the past, you, um, yeah, you skip the day because you're feeling super lethargic and then you get into this negative thought spiral and rubbish. And then you just kind of hit a complete motivation wall and just stop. Whereas if it's more spacious, yeah, it kind of gives you more of an opportunity to, okay, today I don't feel like doing the advanced variation I'm gonna find what feels good and yeah I think that's a great way of doing it another thing that's interesting that you mentioned uh, not necessarily having like 
the levels uh, uh, like beginners advanced on you must be in this advanced class or you must be in this beginners class I think that's really inviting and also I think reframing what a beginners class is and what a advanced class is because I mean I know again for me in the past I've been like well if I'm not doing advanced then there's no point (laughs) or if I'm taking the modification I'm not that good am I like that's rubbish but actually it's yeah it's more about take the modification that works for you or the version that works for you do the class that works for you exactly and I think um I'm seeing this beautiful shift in in modifications and I still think we have a long way to go with this but it was so often at least growing up and taking fitness classes and then after university you know taking the full gauntlet of, because full disclosure, I, although I was exposed to Pilates through my physical therapy, through my rehab, I also joined a Pilates studio because I wanted the aesthetic that was marketed um, when it comes to Pilates. And I think that's still um, something that we need to work on as Pilates instructors, as a Pilates community is um, moving away from unrealistic and um, unscientific aesthetic claims when it comes to this, this program of movement. Um, but when I was taking classes growing up, especially like teenage years, early twenties, modifications were always kind of offered as like an afterthought of like, oh, well, you know, Susie in the corner, maybe lower your knees, like kind of a little bit of a throwaway and, uh, you're not as much of a priority. You don't hold as much space or validity in this class because you need a modification or asking for a modification. Whereas instead I feel like we can, as fitness instructors shift it to have the modifications be a little bit more forward facing and then offer progressions and layers on top of that, because the people that need the modifications, it's not always due to weakness or injury. There are days that I need to modify and I've been doing Pilates for over 10 years. And that's just the beautiful and fickle thing about the human body is it's not a machine and it's not going to function for you optimally every single day. But when we treat modifications as if they're failures or treat modifications as if they're um, less valid of a version of the exercise, um, I think that's really damaging mentally. Um, And I think it makes um, the Pilates space and the fitness space more of an exclusive place versus an inclusive place. Um, So when I first got my teacher certification and first started teaching, one of my big, big priorities in my programming was to make the modifications like the meat of the class and then offer those layers and progressions on top of it. That way people could stay in that core movement and those that wanted more could then layer and build. So I would just love for the fitness industry in general to kind of shift um, towards that because I also think for advanced movers, it's a way to deepen and connect with form and recruitment and alignment I think if we go, I often call it like the spicy version right out the gate, we tend to lose um, the sense of the alignment, the placement, the safety. Um, So I think that we just need to reverse things more. And there's really beautiful things that happen to your clients and to your own body kind of in that layered way versus that kind of all or nothing mentality with a class program. That's brilliant. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, especially as women as well, like around our cycle, we might not feel quite as strong and having that foundation of movement will just help us stay true to the the exercise, the movement and 
stay within like a safe range as well because like I know that when I'm feeling weak I'll just like oh my alignment's gone right out the window (laughs) so that's great and also going back to dance like something really beautiful in like bar work in ballet for example and you can be doing just a simple plie sequence or whatever and you could be an elite like I remember watching the Russian ballet company that I worked with as a child and they were doing like the same exercises as us and I was just like Like but they are getting so much out of that tondu, like that for moving through the exactly. whole, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. So you also mentioned briefly the aesthetics of Pilates. And I do think, oh gosh, we do live in this, like, not to sound like a millennial, we live in this TikTok generation with so <laughs> many aesthetics. Um, and if you type in to Pinterest for example where I hang out all the time Pilates aesthetics or just Pilates it will come up with very similar imagery um usually a thin white able-bodied wealthy woman that's like the mainstream kind of view of the Pilates girl aesthetic I would say and it does kind of lack that diversity I mean like I do enjoy that aesthetic I do think it's very like attractive but also I can't help but see that it kind of looks again like it's diet culture and beauty standards have kind of entangled within that Pilates mainstream Pilates aesthetic so yeah maybe you could speak to that a little bit I I think there's a lot of connections and similarities um unfortunately and and again I do think we're in a really exciting time in terms of this shift that's happening Um, but the dancer aesthetic and the Pilates aesthetic that you spoke to they're very similar Um, and you also have um, the dance community and the ballet community very kind of intertwined with the Pilates community many many former and current dancers Pilates is their preferred method of exercise it's something that they do um, either as an instructor on the side or like me end up doing it full-time and the key, key thing that I had to kind of realize because there was always the the struggle as a dancer to wanting to look so badly like a ballerina and what the image that I had decided in my head was what a ballerina looked like. And entering into the Pilates world, um, my default setting was, well, if I'm a Pilates instructor, this is the standard for which I should look I should have a very small waist I should have a nice lifted bum like lean the the typical Pilates um phrase that is completely scientifically inaccurate long lean muscles um unfortunately you'll you'll hear it here and hopefully hear it more places you cannot change the length of your joints of your bones um that is not possible And so, but it is, and even in my um, instructor certification, going through my programming um, with a wonderful, wonderful um, Pilates institution and learned so much, one of the things in the marketing, you know, day of the Pilates instruction was talking about aesthetics and how you want to market towards women because they want long, lean muscles. And this is how you'll build your clientele. And again, being a, you know, 23-year-old young person, And also hearing this my entire life, I'm like, oh, perfect. But again, you'll be a practitioner of Pilates and you may, um, if you're genetically inclined to that aesthetic, 
you're going to experience that aesthetic. And there's also just a myriad of other things that go into how our bodies are composed, our metabolism, our genetics, our stress levels, um, so many things that make up what our body physically looks like. Um, But you could be doing Pilates religiously, let's say five days a week, the exact same program as someone else, and your results are going to be completely different based off of your individual body. So there is not a specific aesthetic that your body is going to transform into by practicing Pilates. It is going to make you feel incredibly strong, incredibly connected to your body, to your breath. It's going to improve your mobility, your range of motion. It's going to help prevent the risk of injury for the other activities that you love to do. Um, But we really, as a Pilates community, need to stop um, that side of the marketing because it's just inaccurate factually. And I think it's really, really disheartening for someone that maybe starts Pilates and sticks with it for a couple months and doesn't get those um, promoted results of the maybe the flat stomach, maybe the lean legs, and they'll feel like a failure. They'll feel like it's their fault or that the program, they didn't do the program right or the program wasn't hard enough, whereas that's just not the case. Um, so I wish I could like shout it from the rooftops <laughs> that you cannot change the length, the distance from oh one joint to the other, but... Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, on my Instagram, I've even been targeted with like how to get these six pack abs and thigh gaps again. That's the genetic thing. How you're, yeah, with this one Pilates move. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's, uh, yeah, block that. No. So yeah, that was really important. So please, everybody take that on board. (laughs) It's very similar in the world of personal training as well. And I had the same thing when I started out. I I felt I actually had a lot of imposter syndrome because I was very, very, even though, yeah, I was in the smallest body I've ever been in. But to me, I wasn't, I didn't have all the muscles. And at the time it was like big booties and hips and I didn't have any of that. So I felt like no one's going to take me seriously because I don't look like a personal trainer, which is just wild to me. But um, it's that decentering of aesthetics and coming back into all of the numerous health benefits and and performance benefits of Pilates and movement. That's a great reminder. Very important to take on board. Okay, so yeah, I feel like we've covered a lot today. Um, so grateful to have you here. I've got one final question that I'm asking all my guests. What lights you up the most in this world? Oh my goodness. For me, um, it's it's teaching. Um, it's helping people feel more connected and confident in their bodies. And I think growing up without the natural coordination, the natural talent has actually lend itself to my teaching style. I'm really good at explaining things and explaining things in different ways that people can have those light bulb moments where they feel successful and they feel seen and heard. Um, in my classes. So to me, serving people that maybe don't feel like they have a fitness home elsewhere in the mainstream fitness space, that to me, I think is what now and probably forever will continue to light me up the most um, is just helping people, one, stay moving in their body, stay strong, stay mobile, experience the mental benefits of of daily exercise, because I think that's not talked about enough, is it helps us manage our stress, our mood, our energy, all of those things outside of aesthetics. There's so many things we could talk about today 
outside of aesthetics. Um, we could go on for hours, but having them also experience fitness as a way that they get to understand their body better. Um, I think knowledge is power. And if we as fitness instructors can help people also just understand how their body works and how to work with their body, not against their body. To me, that's the most important and most needed thing in the fitness and Pilates space is more instructors that offer more options, that offer um, more educational-based classes and programming so people can really make better informed choices so that um, fitness isn't painful, fitness doesn't feel exclusive or not for them, but creating a space where we give them options to adjust and, and find their success within the movement. I love that. That's so, so beautiful, honestly. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you today. Um, where can our listeners find more um, embodied fitness and more from you? Sure. Um, so our Instagram handle is embody, which is E-M-B-O-D-Y period fitness period wellness. So that's the page um, for our business account. And then also my personal account is Danielle Wiley, just my first and last name with some underscores. But if you search, you can find it there. And there's links on my personal and business pages to our online platform. So all of our classes that we do um, are on demand so that you can stream them anytime, anyplace. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Danielle. It's been such so a much. pleasure speaking with you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me today. As with everything in life, take what lands and leave what doesn't. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave a review. You can connect with me. I'm at Cat Does Wellness on Instagram and Facebook. And visit www.catdoeswellness.com for free resources, blog entries, and more. Until next time, from my heart to yours. <laughs>